Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor Kevin of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now, let's hear a message from God's Word. In Philippians, we have in chapter 3, in verse 14, it says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I press towards that goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And so I titled this series, Pressing Towards the Goal. And so that's going to be our overall theme for the book of Philippians in these next four weeks. And today, specifically, we're going to look at To Live is Christ. And that is the title of today's message. And that comes from First Philippians chapter 1. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so today we're going to look at that, to live is Christ, from Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. And I just wanted to give a little background about uh, Philippi, the city that the book of Philippians was written to. And so Philippi is a city in Macedonia. And so it was a, it had Greek and Roman cultures about it, and it was, it was founded um, before Alexander the Great, and <coughs> excuse me, and so it it was been there a long time, and Paul got called to Philippi in the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts first. In Acts chapter 16. Okay, in Acts chapter 16, we have in verse 1, Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. So here is where Timothy joins Paul and Silas, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul wanted him to have him go on with him. And down in verse 6 it says, Now when they had gone through Phygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, which that word Asia at this time spoke really of Turkey, of that area. And so passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's that call to this area of Philippi that the Philippians were in. 
And this is where Paul will go and establish a church there. And so verse 11 in Acts chapter 16 says, Therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and next day came to Neapolis, and there, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went on out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customary made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she had heard, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, "If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay." So she persuaded us. And so after this is where Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi, and um, God did a miracle, shook everybody's um, chains off. The Filipino, the Philippinian jailer, um, Philippian jailer, <laughs> mixing up Philippines and Philippians. <laughs> um, the Philippian jailer um, perceived that all the prisoners had escaped, but they did not. It, he was saved, and he invited Paul to his house, and his whole house was saved in the process. And they wanted to send away Paul secretly, but, they, but Paul insisted openly in that section. But that is the introduction to the book of Philippians. This is where Paul engaged the Philippians, and many were saved at that time, and a, a church was formed. And we see the results of this, that Paul here is writing to them. And we have to note that he is writing from jail in Rome at this time, as we will see when we get into chapter 1. And so chapter 1, verse 1, tells us, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. I just love that, that, um, that word bondservant, that meaning that they have bonded themselves to Christ. They, they have chose to serve Christ. And back in the day that in the biblical times and there was a slave and the slave was freed but chose to stay with the master, they were called a bondservant. They bonded themselves to the master freely. And so this is our call, is that we should freely bond ourselves to the service of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul opens this letter with. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. So bishops can be translated as overseers. So it could also read, with the Overseers and deacons. So the leaders of the church, the, the those who were leading 
I'm that body of Christ, that congregation there in Philippi. And he greets them with grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Often in Paul's greetings, we see these two words, grace and peace. And always from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a typical greeting of Paul's that he introduces himself and who is his companion or companions who are with him in this case, Timothy, and to who he's writing to the saints in Philippi and greets them with the grace and peace of our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets into thankfulness and prayer. In verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you with all joy. And this is a great thing. This is a good thing. This is a habit that we should have also, that we should be praying for one another. That Paul, in his letters also, often mentioned these things, that he was praying for the people that he was writing to. That he's always in every prayer of mine making a request for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day into now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the second coming of Christ, that he's praying that they would be complete in Christ even more as that day approaches. And we should be praying that for each other also. And remembering for ourselves that he who began a good work in you will complete it. How awesome of a promise is that? That the Lord will, will, will complete us. You know, we're, there's always those shirts that say, work in progress. You know, I'm forgiven, but I'm a work in progress. Um, and so the Lord is working on us. The Lord is building us. He is growing us. He is maturing us in Christ. And we should look for that work, that good work in us that he is completing in us. Jesus modeled this for us in John 17, this praying for one another. In John 17, he is praying for first for himself. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying for himself. And then he, in verse 6 of John 17, he starts to pray for his disciples. And he says, I'm praying to his Father. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have glorified, and I am glorified in them. And so he's praying, Jesus is praying for his disciples at that time. And he says later on, I've given them your word in verse 14 of John 17, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And so in verse 20 he picks up and he prays for all believers. And he says, I do not pray for these alone, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. Isn't it awesome that Jesus prayed for us specifically? We are those who will believe in me through their word. How awesome is that to know that Jesus prayed specifically for, um, for you? I had that I had a an experience in college. I was older. I had gone to college for four years without a degree and just life circumstances. And then I took a couple years off and then um, I felt the Lord saying it's time to go back and so I went back to another school and um, Fred introduced introduced me to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and the leader um, Trish is her name the, the staff member for InterVarsity at the school at that time I'm not, she still might be um, I'm not sure but anyways she said something to me after I uh, accepted a leadership position with them and uh, she said, and it might have even been before that, but she, she said, we've been praying that you would come. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I didn't understand exactly, like, like specifically me you were praying for. I don't think it was like specifically me, like by name. <sighs> but um, it was interesting to hear that. I mean, it kind of confirmed that I was supposed to be there. And for the next couple of years, I basically led that group um, in ministry at that time. And so, you know, prayer is powerful, and we shouldn't neglect it in our own lives, and we should, shouldn't neglect it for each other, that we should be those who pray for one another, who lift each other up. And, you know, as Paul did here, he thanked God for them. He was, in every prayer, he was making a request for them with all joy. Um, you know, that the gospel would go forth. It was just him just telling them that. I, that I, even though I can't be with you right now, I am praying for you. I am want to encourage you in that, that, that I am praying for you. And that can be a lifter of a soul. I mean, have you had somebody come up to you and 
say, I'm praying for you. Or, or they stop you and say, hey, I, can I pray for you? You know, that, that just lifts you up. That just surrounds you with God's love in that. Continue on in Philippians chapter 1. In verse 7, Paul continues and says, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. And so they they supported Paul. They were supporters of Paul. And he's just recognizing that and you know, telling us that he is in chains, literally in chains, in prison, in Rome. But that they were helpers in the defense and confirmation of the gospel and that they are partakers with him of grace. You know, grace is such a, is such a word that, that, you know, by grace we have been saved, not by works, lest any man shall boast. By grace, that grace that God has given to us through the cross of Jesus Christ, that has bestowed that grace upon us, God's riches at Christ's expense. Just awesome to know that we are under God's grace. Verse 8 tells us, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with affection of Jesus Christ. He longs to be free. He longs to be able to go and be with the churches, and specifically the church of Philippi here. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ Jesus. And so he, he reiterates this and kind of gives us an example of this in Philippians 4, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be, be sincere without offense to the day of Christ. And then he tells us in chapter 4, verse 8, says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things of good rapport, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So that excellence, you know, those things that he details out in chapter 4 are the things of excellence, noble, just, pure, lovely, good rapport, truth. You know, these things are the excellent things that you may be approved the things which are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ so that we are living Christian life. We're living the Christian life in and through Christ. We're living above reproach. We're, we're living for the glory of God. And he continues and said, says, out of offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, 
which are by Christ Jesus, sorry, are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In James 3.17, he tells us, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is how we should live. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then, of course, Galatians chapter 5, we have the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5:22 tells us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no law. And those who are crucified and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, which we will talk about in a little bit. In the next section, it talks about envy. So in first Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, it tells us in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So he's saying that even though he's in chains, He's been arrested. He's in Rome. He's being persecuted. He's in chains, in prison. He's telling us that it's for God's good. He's, it's for the furtherance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. He's been able to influence the the palace. <laughs> He's been able to influence the guards. I mean, he, he would have guards right with him. And they would probably have shifts. And so he would have multiple guards a day that he would be able to tell Christ to. That he would tell him his witness, his transformation from one who persecuted the church to one who glorified Christ with the gospel message. And that they knew that why he was in chains, because his chains were because of his faith, because of Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having been confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak with the word without fear. So he's saying because he's in change, it has emboldened others to speak boldly of Christ. Some indeed preach Christ from every envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. Remember from that previous verse, it talked about envy and not we shouldn't be in that spot of enviness. But here we see that there was some contention between Paul and some of the other others who preached Christ. Um, 
some speculate that it was because maybe they were Jewish believers and they didn't like that Paul was preaching to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. But there was envy. But there's also those from goodwill preaching Christ. Verse 16 tells us the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. So they're doing it to get at Paul. They're, the, whatever was going on, they were not only preaching Christ, but they were digging at Paul. But the latter out of love, so those who were speaking from goodwill, they were latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So the ones who were agreeing with Paul and all that he was doing. So we had these two groups, the envious and those who were doing it out of love because they agreed with Paul. And Paul tells us in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So here he is rejoicing that Christ is preached, even though some were against him who were preaching Christ. They had envy towards him. But Paul focused on the gospel. Paul focused on that preaching of Christ. And so I wanted to share an example in Warren Wearsby's commentary on the book of Philippians. He gives a, an account of John Wesley and George Whitehead. And he says, It is a matter of historic record that two great English evangelists, John Wesley and George Whitehead, disagreed on doctrinal matters. Both of them were very successful preaching to thousands of people, seeing multitudes come to Christ. It is reported that somebody asked Wesley if he expected to see Whitefield in heaven, and the evangelist responded, No, I do not. Then do you think Whitefield is a converted man? And Wesley responded, Of course he is a converted man, Wesley said. But I do not expect to see him in heaven, because he will be so close to the throne of God, and I so far away, that I will not be able to see him. And so, with that example, we see that people had some differences, and these two great evangelists had these differences, but yet Christ was preached, and many multitudes came to faith in Christ through them. In Acts chapter 18, we have a place where this envy could have came in, um, but it did not. And so, in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, 
And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews, publicly showing from scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so we have Apollos here that, you know, they there could have been some envy or there could have been, you know, that guy's got it all wrong <laughs> and just left, left it at that. But no, what did Aquila and Priscilla do? They, they went to him. They talked with him. They instructed him. And he accepted it. He could have rejected it too. <laughs> but he accepted it and became um, an even greater evangelist because <laughs> he had the full picture and he preached Christ from then on. To live is Christ. In verse 19, in Philippians chapter 1, it says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He, Paul wanted to be delivered from his situation. He trusted in that. But as we'll find out, he'll, he'll know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because according to my earnest expectation and hope is that nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. He had that hope. He had that prayer of deliverance from this. and But he also recognized that he may die, that he may give his life at this time for Christ. Because all he wanted was Christ magnified, he says. But now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus talks about this, this life in him, in John 10. In John 10, 7, he tells us, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so we have Christ saying that we can have abundant life in him. Even in tough circumstances in this life, we can have joy 
and that life in Christ, that abundant life that he and only he can give. It's awesome to know that we have that life in Christ greater than anything this world can give. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So his hope is that he would be freed and he could go to the Philippians and be with them in physically in fellowship. But he says he is hard-pressed between the two. He desires to go and be with Christ, his Savior, his Lord, but he also knows that if he stays, that his labor here on earth is to encourage, to build up, to be there for the church. And so we should, in a way, we should have this conflict in our lives. We should desire to go and be with the Lord, and we will one day do that. We should look forward and to his second coming or our going to him if it is before that. But at the same time, while we're here, we're to occupy, we're to be about God's business, about the Father's business. We're to be about this life in Christ to further the gospel, to be that gospel to others to encourage each other in faith to live for Christ in all that we do. That joy in Christ. Oh, I mean, he says it many times, the joy of faith, rejoicing for me. And other times in this passage, Paul had that joy of Christ in prison, in maybe his darkest hour, he's having joy in Christ. God didn't say it was always going to be easy. God didn't say that we weren't going to go through trouble and tribulation. God didn't say that we weren't going to suffer. Did you know that since 2009, just in one country, the country of Nigeria, 50,000 Christians have been killed. That just blows me away. 50,000. I've heard many things come out of Nigeria about these persecutions. And yet we don't hear it in the news. Rarely unless something maybe major happens. But that's just one country. We are blessed to be in the country that we have. 
Yes, churches have been attacked. Christians have been singled out. But not to 50,000 since 2009. But yet, could that be us one day? As Christianity gets marginalized, you know, are we affecting society or is society influencing the church? Paul tells us at the end of Philippians chapter 1, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That word stand is often used. We're to stand in Christ, stand on the rock, of Jesus Christ. Stand fast. Unwavering, unmoving, that the doctrines of this world wouldn't sway us, move us, but we would cling to Christ and we would stand and we would take a stand in this world for the gospel, for Jesus Christ, that we would have that Influence on this world and not the influence of the world on us. For he continues, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. You know, things of this world can get us down, they can shake us, they can um, get us nervous, but we're to stand in Christ. What did Christ often say? Do not fear. Right? Do not fear. Paul says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So the Philippians must have been going through some things too. Here Paul is in prison and he's trying to encourage them that even though they're going through things too, we can stand fast in Christ, but also suffer for his sake, Christ's sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. We are to stand. We're to live is Christ, to die is gain. Live for Christ today and each day. We're to finish strong. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race, sorry, and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If the Master suffers and was tortured, 
Will his disciples be any different? Should his disciples expect any difference? We don't know what is to come. But no matter what is to come, to live is Christ. Can the worship team come? And so, Lord, we just come before you. And we want to live in and through you, Jesus Christ. We want to just be all in all for you, Lord. Because you are our all in all. You have given us grace, mercy, and truth, and love. You have given us your life so that we could be freed from our sin, that we could be in heaven one day with you. Lord, we look forward to that day. To live as Christ, to die as gain. We look towards that gain. Lord, but we're here now with purpose. We're here now with the gospel, the good news of you, Jesus. Let us live life. May our lives be that gospel message to others. That you would shine through that you would do a mighty work. We don't know what's to come, but we want to stand fast in you, stand firm, anchored, unwavered, unmoved, because we are fully convinced that you are God. We, are, we fully believe that you are our salvation and the one way for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Lord, come. Come and be in our presence. Be in our lives. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, we pray for those who would believe. Lord, you prayed for those far off who would believe. You prayed for each of us. Lord, we pray for those we know who don't know you that they would believe. Lord, and join your family, that they would be freed and would be in and through you living this life in Christ, that they would have that gain when they die and go with you. Oh, Lord, we give this day over to you. We give this week over to you, that it may be fruitful for your gospel, for your salvation for many. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.